Today on Happy Set Confused, Elijah Wood on producing Lord of the Rings Memories and his latest film, Come to Daddy. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Today, the one and only Mr. Elijah Wood. It is not his Happy, Sad, Confused debut, but it, it, it virtually is. I had a I had a brief chat with him a few years back, uh, back at Sundance. It was him and Melanie Linsky, uh, but that was that was a short one. This is all Elijah, all the time. Um, cover a lot of territory with this guy who. Is, is just one of the no, nicest guys in the business. Um, I've known him for quite a while. He was actually one of the very first um, actors to subject themselves to my crazy after-hours shenanigans, one of my sketches. He, it was probably the third or fourth one we ever did, and he, uh, he played a demented, crazy version of himself, and he was amazing. And ever since then, has always been super kind to me. And, uh, and, and, and I, I love him because he's like a lot of you guys listening, like myself, a true film nerd. <laughs> and I say that in the nicest possible way. He, uh, he just uh, lives and breathes movies. He has a production company, SpectreVision, that produces a lot. And um, his sensibilities are, are, are unique and, and kind of weird and off-kilter, and I definitely appreciate that. He's, uh, he's been producing and starring in really cool stuff, uh, especially in the last decade. Um, kind of using his his uh, powers for good, especially ever since you know the uh, the phenomenon that was the Lord of the Rings trilogy. You know, being at the center of something like that, being that kind of uh, centerpiece of a global um, franchise, gives you a bit of clout. And I feel like he's used that for for good. Um, so this was a, a great chat with him. Elijah's got a lot going on. He was in New York for the uh, debut of his new film, Come to Daddy. Uh, it debuted at the Tribeca Film Festival. He didn't produce this one, but it is it is definitely kind of along the lines of what I was talking about. It's a, a dark and weird um, kind of horror thriller uh, film. Uh, I don't want to reveal too much about it. We get into kind of the setup a little bit in the conversation, but suffice it to say, uh, Elijah plays um, a young man who goes to visit his father, who's he's estranged from he's not seen him for many many years and um the visit doesn't go so well <laughs> so a lot of twists and turns in this one well worth checking out if you're here in new york and you're listening to this um i think there might even be another screening or two of come to daddy at the tribeca film festival uh if you don't have a chance to see it here right now i'm sure this is one of those that will hit the festival circuit and will hopefully get distribution very soon so look out for that look out for come to daddy um but this was a good opportunity to talk to elijah about a great many things of course you can't have a conversation with him uh, without talking a bit uh, about Lord of the Rings, some really interesting recollections about that one, um, and also just geeking out about stuff he's he's into right now, films that he's produced recently, like Mandy with Nicolas Cage, and stuff that he's just excited to see um, as a film fan, uh, as a horror fan especially. So this was great, uh, a great conversation that I think you guys are going to dig. Um, otherwise, in the universe right now, um, I mean, it's hard to mention... I guess there are two things that are dominating the pop culture landscape right now. It's all Game of Thrones and it's all Avengers Endgame. Um, uh, on the Avengers Endgame front, uh, 
I will tease that um, we've got a pretty special podcast coming up for you guys next week. Um, we're going to debut it a little bit earlier than usual on the Happy Sad Confused schedule. Usually I debut episodes on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. Um, but the embargo on this conversation is up on Monday. So bright and early Monday in your feeds, you will see a spoiler conversation with Joe and Anthony Russo about Avengers Endgame. This is a conversation that from beginning to end is all spoilers. It answers a lot of the questions that you have about Avengers Endgame. Um, there's a lot of amazing information in this one. These guys have been so great to talk to over the years and to have the opportunity to dive deep into this record-breaking phenomenon uh, with them was a, a real treat. I taped it the other day and it will be, as I said, it will be up on Monday bright and early. Check it out. I think you guys will dig it, but only listen, of course, if you've already seen Avengers Endgame, but I'm guessing if you're like me, you probably have. Uh, so yeah, that, that's what's going on. Um, and other than that, I guess just the usual reminder, review, rate, and subscribe to Happy Second Fuse. Spread the good word. And I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with one of the good guys out there, Mr. Elijah Wood. Uh, should we have a conversation? We've, we were already having one. But Let's have the conversation. We're having the conversation oh, wait, right now. Are we having the conversation Oh, you, right you weren't told that we're having the conversation, Not Elijah? Not the conversation. There's a lot to talk about, Elijah. There really is. We are... I'm sweating. <sighs> That's just because it's 95 degrees in here, so I apologize for that. <laughs> it's all right. Um, but it's good to have you here, Thank buddy. Um, we it's go nice way to back. Be on but your it, podcast. It's the first time we, we had. A, we did a kind of like a brief one once in Sundance. Yeah. You and Melanie, but it's shocking oh, to me right, yeah. that we've never had you properly in here. But uh, uh, belated welcome. Thank you. Uh, congrats on your new film, Come to Daddy. Thank you. Have you seen it? I have seen it. <gasps> I enjoyed. Okay. We're going to cool. get into that. You had your premiere last night. Yeah, we did. Mm -hmm. Okay. First of all, uh, doing the math, I realize we're coming up next year, of course, is the fifth anniversary of The Last Witch Hunter. So we should just get into that stuff right <laughs> we now. We absolutely should. <laughs> That's right. Um, the fifth anniversary. I feel this is a film that will, like, the think pieces will come out. Oh, you know it. And it, just, it was ahead of its time. <laughs> It was, people couldn't comprehend it. And I think, yeah, it's one of those things that later, upon reflection, people will kind of go, oh, fuck, they were, yeah. it was way more profound than I thought. Yeah, it's like the Matrix, kind of, yeah. for 2014. Definitely. Um, <laughs> I did, I moderated, I don't know if you remember, I moderated Even if the you'd been a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was your what was your Vin experience? I mean, he's a pleasant guy. He's an eccentric he's guy. Totally, totally pleasant. Very friendly to everybody. Yeah. He's a fascinating individual. Did you get closer with Vin or Michael Caine on that one? Michael was only with us for yeah, a week. And so sense. I actually only did, I think it was like a day of oh, working really? with him. Yeah. So I didn't get close to him at all, with him at all, but he was super lovely and very sweet. Um, but yeah, Vin, fuck. Did you ever play D&D &D with Vin? No. <laughs> no, but we talked about those things. I, uh, yeah, we, we talked about, to he's a big Tolkien fan, like yeah. a super nerd. Yeah. Which is totally fascinating. He knew a lot about like the Silmarillion. Yeah. He was like, talk to Peter, like... I, I think he wanted to, there was a specific character that he wanted to play from the Silmarillion. I'm always fascinated by like, yeah, the, 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 look, you and I, they can peg from a mile away. Like, okay, those guys would be into that stuff. Sure. But it's like, it's the, 
it's the Vins. It's the Unbuddies with Joe Manganiello. It's like oh, yeah. he he has a dungeon in his house. Does he? What? He has a dungeon in his house, and he plays a weekly Dungeons and Dragons game. Whoa, man! And that's he, amazing. He's like invited me to it, and I'm like frankly intimidated because I've heard him talk about like D and D and Star Wars, and he puts me to shame. Whoa! <laughs> that I would. Well, I'm not super surprised because he's also got that cool. Like nerdy clothing line. Yeah, he's got death too. saves. He's got his, yeah. his streetwear. So yeah, 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 his streetwear <laughs> line. So yeah, that's not a that, that's not a giant leap no, from there. No, he's living but, the life. But, a, but yeah, his own dungeon. That's that's pretty. <laughs> that's elaborate. It was it was gonna be. Was hope, it a basement that he converted? Yeah, I'm hope, hoping I'm not speaking out of school, but it was. You know, he's married to Sofia Vergara, and right. I think it was her, going to be her Pilates studio, and he convinced Sofia. <laughs> No, no, no. You can go to a Pilates studio. Yeah. This is the dungeon. This is this That's clearly amazing. has dead bodies in it. Is that where he plays D and D? Yeah, That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so okay, let's talk. Let's talk a little. Come to daddy. So you had your premiere last night. Yes. How'd it go? It was great. Do it you was like, really great? Do you get excited, nervous about these things? You've done so many different kinds of premieres over your life. Yeah. I it, mean, it, the the degree that I get just excited or nervous, certainly excited every time. Mm-hmm. Nerves depends on the film. I actually weirdly get more nervous for things that I've produced right. than things that I'm in, which doesn't necessarily speak to any... Uh, I don't love those things any less, the things that I'm in, or have any less ownership over them. But there's something about producing something from the ground up and putting it out there. It, it feels a little bit more naked and, yeah. and a little bit more is at stake. Yeah, you're judging not only like my performance, but my being, <laughs> like my yeah. like literally it's like this thing that you, along with a lot of other people, have yeah. helped foster into the existence. So I, I get a little bit more nervous for those screenings. But yeah, I was excited. You know, with Come to Daddy, I, I'd seen it before. I already loved the film, and I think more than anything, I was just excited to see how an audience would react because it's it's a it's a dark comedy. Mm-hmm. It is. It has very unexpected twists and turns yep. that are very violent at, at times and um, occasionally disturbing and weird. And it just subverts expectation at, at every step of the way. And it's very much an audience movie in that regard. So yeah. I was just super excited to see them to go on that ride and, and see how they were. how people would react. Um, which was awesome. You alluded to this, so we, we can't. Go, we don't. We don't want to go too much into specifics because there are some major twists and turns in this one. Yeah, it's, um, unfortunately, but, like yeah, once you get into Act Two, it gets super spoilery. <laughs> but, but I will say, Act One hooked me. Like it's a, it's a great like opening. It's a great conceit, which mm-hmm. is basically this kind of fractured relationship. Um, uh, a young man who is kind of a douchebag, kind mm-hmm. of. Uh, That's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, who, yeah, you have this like amazing kind of like little mini monologue that really defines the character in, in the first like 20 that minutes. Is the, that is the moment actually in the film where he expresses his true self or his douchery, the sort of <laughs> artifice of that character, everything you, you imagine by looking at him. Yeah. From his ridiculous sense of fashion and his r- crazy bull cut and his mustache, mustache and yeah. hat. Everything you think about looking at him, that sort of judging a book by its cover, he expresses in that scene. Right. Uh, it's pretty funny. So, um, and yes, visiting, kind of out of his element, mm-hmm. um, seeing his dad after a, a long time apart. Um, what else do we want to tease? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's basically like, you know, so it's this guy who we learn has lived a relatively cushy life. Yeah. Uh, we find out that he's you know lived a life of privilege in Beverly Hills. He's a DJ, maybe of some note. He claims to be. Um, he's got a he's, limited edition phone. He's got my lord. Yeah, exactly. 
He gets a letter from his father, who he's been estranged from since he was five years of age. So he has very, very little recollection of, or, or memory of his father. And so it's, that's the conceit. It's like 30 years go by, and you get a letter from your dad that you have no relationship with. Yeah. And what, is, what do you do? You travel to go see him. What it, what's going to happen? What are the expectations? Yeah. Uh, are you, you going to be met open arms? Is it a resurrection of, are you picking up from where you left off? Like, what is that? Right. And so that's the, that's the conceit of, of, the, of the movie and what sort of sets the journey off for Norval, the character. Suffice it to say, it doesn't. It doesn't go so great. Doesn't go so great. <laughs> um, and I was shocked, kind of, as the more I read about this. So this is this is a feature directing debut, though. This is this is a, a gentleman who has a lot of experience, obviously, yes. as a producer that you know. He did Greasy Strangler for those that have seen yeah, that crazy we piece of work that together. Yeah. <laughs> so that should give you a little hint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you see that at Sundance? I, I never have seen it, man. I, I'm so dude. It's fine. You, you know, you you'll know, see like, it. But you eventually. know, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna get to as the conversation progresses. I, another one. I'm so feel so guilty that I, I took so long to get to but I finally took the opportunity since I knew you were coming in I never I never saw Mandy last year so I finally I watched it last night so, awesome so thank you for that what do you think? we'll get to that okay, that's okay, amazing okay. Cool, cool 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 okay cool <laughs> amazing um, so yeah Ant, Ant has Ant's, been yeah, yeah. Ant has been a producer in film for a number of years that's how we met I mean I met him in this sort of genre world in Austin Texas right through Tim League Alamo Drafthouse Fantastic Fest um, they're dear friends and yeah, I mean, he's he produced Housebound, ABC's of Death, right. one and two, uh, longtime genre film producer. And then, yeah, we worked together on Greasy Strangler. And then this thing came about by way of his own personal experience. Which is, I was alluding to that. Yeah, so that's, I don't even know if we want to talk specifically about that because it kind of almost gives some stuff away. But yes, there is a very personal story at the heart of this that, that inspired this insanity. We are talking about it, so it's, okay. it's cool. Okay. His, his father dropped dead yeah. um, a number of years ago. And his father's partner at the time determined that, that, a, that a good thing to do would be to, to sit in, at home with the body in the home uh, almost like sitting Shiva, right? Sort of, you know, uh, as a means of um, mourning and paying tribute to this man. And so, good idea in theory, except a lot of his his brothers and sisters like left because they they had things to do and they had jobs. So he was predominantly alone in the house for five days with his father, who had been embalmed and brought back in a casket in the living room. Um, and through that experience, he. There are various visitors that he knew, but then a number of people who he'd never met who knew his father from a time that he'd never heard about in right. regards to his father's past. So he starts hearing stories about his dad, nickname for his dad that he'd never heard, and this sort of past that had eluded him. Incredibly cathartic emotional experience. He's a better person to tell that story. But ultimately, out of that, he had this idea of a nugget for what that could be expressed in regards to a film. Right. And it sort of kicked him in the ass because he had started making short films and then he moved into producing where he was like, fuck, I need to get off my ass and, and direct something. Yeah. This is the story to tell because it's personal. I want to do this as a tribute to my father. So he reached out to Toby Harvard, who was the, the co-writer on The Greasy Strangler. And he was like, this is the kind of structure idea that I have for this movie. Uh, is this interesting to you? Toby was on fire for it. Three weeks go by, he comes back with a draft. Wow. And that was sort of the the beginning of the process of it's probably the, the, developing the best, this the, film. The best of all possible worlds, because, yeah, so it's like a feature directing debut, but it's uh, obviously a guy that knows his way around a film set and yeah. how to make stuff like this. And Absolutely. So, so you get uh, 
the excitement of a first project with some experience, actually, yeah. too. Yeah, he um, understands the process. It, it's interesting. So it's interesting in, in looking. My, my sense is like the stuff that you've chosen to do, especially like acting wise, or producing too, a lot of it's come from relationships, like friendships, relationships, the yeah. Austin community. Um, does it feel like that's just been a natural progression for you? It's just the way you like to operate as opposed to getting like a blind submission from your agents or it's just organic. Yeah. yeah it just has happened that way. Um, it's not, which isn't to say that I, I don't still get things in, a, in any kind of traditional sure. form. I definitely do through representation, but just through those relationships of spending time in Austin at Fantastic Fest, a lot of stuff has come out of that, you know. But they've they they always start from genuine relationships first, and then yeah. out of that friendship comes, you know, a, a realization of a of a kind of creative common ground. Yeah. I think. Which too. is, which is, yeah, that's the big leap for we any all love decision. the same shit, right? So it's like, well, why don't we do some shit together? Yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah, and that that's kind of how you know Grand Piano came about. Mm -hmm. That's how Open Windows came about with Nacho, and then ultimately this too. It's just the, a, a logical leap from, you know, Ant sending me the script for Greasy Strangler and saying, "Do you want to get on board this fucking crazy ship <laughs> and make this <laughs> this movie?" And I was like, "Yes." <laughs> Uh, from that to, well, we've already worked together once. Let's maybe try and right. this kind of thing together. So uh, how long have you been in Austin now? When did you move? I'm there half the time. Um, roughly. It's like every three months. But um, I guess it was like five years ago. So was I've been the... going there for so many years. Yeah. So it's sort of felt like a home away from home for longer. But in terms of actually having roots there, probably five years. And, and when you say splitting the time, are you talking about like... Between Los Angeles. Los Angeles, and, yeah, yeah. So there Austin. wasn't a point like... Did you, that where you fell out of love? Was it falling out of love with LA or falling in love with Austin or a little bit of a combination? No, it was it was falling in love with Austin. I think, and there was a there was a period of time when I first found a place to live because I, I it took me like three years to find a place because I was taking my time. It wasn't essential. Like I wasn't motivated to move right away. So it was like I, I could take my time. But initially, I thought, well, I'm going to make this my home base. That was the intention. Sure. And the reality of that was it just wasn't realistic. Yeah. There's so much of my life is in Los Angeles. I've started a company there. Right. They are all based there. Um, my friends, family, yeah. you know, they're all in Los Angeles. Well, my family is in Austin now. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. They Consequently, since, since I actually got the house in Austin, everyone has moved to, to Austin. You're the sun they revolve around. No one else is in <laughs> They found the barbecue LA, and is, Elijah was there. Which is kind of amazing. Yeah, my brother lived there first. Okay. He lived there for five years working for a video game company and then moved away for work and then moved back. When did you, you start going first for like Fantastic Fest and stuff like that? Initially just... it was South by Southwest. Yeah. I was going. Um, my first time to Austin was in, I think it was the summer of either 96 or 97 when we were working, 97, uh, working on the faculty. Oh, the faculty, of course, Robert. Yeah. So that was the first time to Austin, fell in love with it then, and then I went Years after that, I would go to the the music side of South by Southwest right. just to go see bands. Sure, sure. Because it was a lot easier then to get into shows than it is now. Yeah, it was kind of an amazing period in the in the sort of late '90s, early 2000s, where it was pretty easy to get like good credentials, not super expensive. Yeah, and you could pretty much get into anything. That's similar to like kind the of what crazy lines weren't really a thing. Yeah, and you could you could pack. My, my brother and I would get a schedule, and we would like 
earmark all the stuff we'd want to see, and we'd see everything. Yeah. Like, there was nothing we'd miss. So it's that was another Comic Con the same way in a different yeah. way on the on the movie side. People always complain in the last five years about Comic Con, and it's true. I mean, I've been going the last. 12 years and even by that even my first year so it had obviously was huge but yeah. it's definitely a and it's vibe. gotten bigger since I've gone there too because yeah. I think we went for rings in 2001 yeah and it was big but not what it is now yeah I mean there weren't paparazzi there then you know what I mean like it wasn't as much of a celebrity industry thing as right. it's become it's funny but all that stuff you know it once people find out career, about yeah. it where there's money to be made totally um how many members of the Friday Night Lights cast are you friendly with in Austin? I feel, just imagine you and Taylor Kitsch just hanging. Do them. you not know any of them? No. <laughs> no. It's not as small a town as I thought it was. It's pretty small, but I don't know. Okay. I don't know any other actors there, really. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people in like the film community, but yeah. it's all people at like the Alamo. Like my friends are yes. people at Mondo, Alamo. Um, right. You know, fantastic fest, and then you know the community around that, rather than like, yeah, the 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 actors or creative people that are from there who, who, or who work there. I, I shockingly again, I've never been to Fantastic Fest. For oh so my bizarre. god! I know, I know. It's... I feel like I have that reaction every time. It's so <laughs> good, man. What's your fate? What's the what's the I'm ultimate? I'm on the board now. What's the ult- Okay, I'll, I'll be there. What's the ultimate Fantastic Fest memory? What's like the pinnacle like moment? You've done a, a bunch of them, I assume by mm-hmm. now. What's like the what stands out when you think Fantastic Fest? Um, oh man. Wow. A lot of car- a lot of nights of karaoke <laughs> uh, at the highball. Um, I don't know. Memories that stand out are like Nacho Vigalondo mm-hmm. years um, back in like 2013, 2014 that he was a real fixture of the festival. Less mm-hmm. so now just, you know, these are, he loves the festival, but it just comes down to like availability. Sure. Um, but yeah, those, those first years, like meeting Nacho, hanging out with him, meeting Eugenio Mira. Uh, I think at one point I got picked up and thrown onto the ground by Nacho. I think we were doing like, uh, it, it was Fantastic Feud, which is basically like a quiz show about horror movies. Right. And you're encouraged to drink and, it was pretty ruckus. And I think he picked me up and threw me on the ground. And there actually had been like a, bo- a beer bottle that had broken. So everybody was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> what a way I to almost go. like fell on a bunch of broken glass. So that what stands out. Getting my first, my first Fantastic Fest tattoo. Because they give tattoos tattoo? at the festival. Oh, I've really? got four of them, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, this is random, but I noticed this. You shot this uh, film in Vancouver, but mm-hmm. I noticed there's a New Zealand uh, connection. It was so it was a co-production between New Zealand, Ireland, and Canada. But we yeah we shot on Van- Vancouver Island, kind of in a remote corner of Vancouver Island called Tofino, which is also like the surfing capital of Canada. Apparently, Vancouver's beautiful. I'm sure you've shot a bunch there by now. Shot a lot in Vancouver yeah. proper. Yeah, yeah. Vancouver's it is beautiful. BC is really beautiful. Vancouver. The city is a little, I don't, it's just tough. Is it? I've only been, I think, twice. It's, maybe. it's, it's yeah. a great city. Yeah. It's just, it's overrun with production. Got it. There's just a lot of production there. Yeah. So it's a little, it can be a little intense. So, you know? so uh, on the New Zealand side, is your name like, is it like, are you like the Tom Cruise of New Zealand when they see your like name on a call sheet or something? Like, they're like, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna fund that fucking thing um, uh, extra five million dollars like are there I, statues I, of I you have, no definitely not 
I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. Have you? Do you go back with any regularity? No. I haven't. Not in a long time. It's been like five or six years, I think. Yeah. Too long. Like, it's been one of the longer periods, actually, since I've been there. So how long, all in all, were you there for, for Rings? On Rings? Yeah. Principal photography was 16 months. Okay. So but all the, three films shot... Continuous? Or are you talking... Well, so we started in... We started principal photography in October of 99, mm. and we wrapped December of 2000, and we had two hiatuses. Got it. So uh, Christmas break, the first Christmas break, I think it was a month, and then I think we had one, maybe another. So there were these little mini right. breaks throughout, which would help them in post-production sure. planning, kind of everyone gets a breather because it's a really long shoot. It's funny because now um, as I'm thinking about it, as you describe it, it's kind of like become the norm. That kind of like set this, this like Hollywood um, tentpole template in terms of mm. like now every studio, like comic book movie, et cetera, builds in these like re reshoots, like these, this additional photography. That's interesting. Yeah, it's true. You know? Yeah. Star Wars has certainly followed suit with that. All the Marvel movies do that, yeah, I think. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. That was, yeah. It was a surprise to us because that was not at all what we'd anticipated. Oh, really? So we, yeah, we wrapped... And we thought genuinely that we'd wrapped and that we wouldn't be coming back. Like, I, I think a few of them were like, we're coming back. <laughs> but we didn't know. And then it was a couple months later, like after we went back for Christmas, they were like, I think we're going to come back for some pickups. Got it. And then we were like, oh shit, we're coming back for like a month and a half, two months. Oh, we're doing this every time. So then it just became, right. which was fantastic because nice we were like, thing. oh, we'll just keep this going. Yeah. Because none of us wanted it to end, you know. So... We had a, it, a, such a good time. Is it is it is it a part of your daily life? Will it always be a part of your daily life that rings comes up? Like, is there a day that can go by where someone doesn't reference rings to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, That's good. good. Yeah. That's healthy. No, it's very healthy. <laughs> yeah, because I, I. Well, I mean, there's days where I'm not in the mix. Right, you're not out time. and about and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But even like in my neighborhood, walking around, going to the market, whatever, rings doesn't necessarily come up. Um, so but it, it is <laughs> it, it is ubiquitous and frequent enough yeah. to just to the point where it it's just kind of yeah it's almost <laughs> white, it's almost yeah. white noise a yeah. little bit I, it's so familiar it's so baked into my DNA at this point that yeah it, I'm just used to it I, I'm curious like if you'll indulge me a little bit on like the beginning process of making those films yeah. because like the funny thing as I was thinking about it is like. It's hard to fathom, especially for like kids these days. But like nowadays, everything's genre. Everything it rules the universe. That's like, funny. and fantasy was not a thing at the, at the time. It wasn't. It was a huge gamble, an mm -hmm. insane gamble mm -hmm. <laughs> for 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 New Line or whatever to like put up that kind of money. Yeah. And on Peter, Peter had not he had done the Frighteners. That wasn't a that was the biggest thing he'd done. Yeah. That was his, the only studio movie I think that he'd done. I think so. For right. Yeah. Um. So I guess my question is like, was there uncertainty those first? couple months on set like did you feel like no not at all really not at all it's wild man it's kind of crazy to take myself back to that time because I remember I remember being on the set of the faculty and Harry Knowles at the time because Annie Cool News was a big deal she sure. was on the set a lot he he was he had told me that Peter Jackson's making the Lord of the Rings and I remember thinking oh right that makes total sense mm-hmm what? <laughs> but it did. Yeah. It made sense. I'd seen Peter's films. I'd seen Heavenly Creatures was a favorite of mine at the time. Um, loved The Frighteners. And it was, it, it instantly clicked where I was like, of course, 
his handle on drama and fantasy and blending those things together, he's he's perfect for yeah. this. <laughs> but but to your point, yeah, that there was no precedence. Really, I mean, there's certainly he, he had done things that I think it indicated that he could work within that milieu. But to your point, there was no precedence for that in the industry. Right. We weren't living in a time in which a, a giant we're, we're trilogies were green lights in a fantasy franchise yeah. Could, yeah. could work. So that was a risk. But having said that, like it all, I think I'd even like I, I went to I went to KNB. Um, do you know what KNB is? No. So you know who Greg Nicotero is? Yes. So Greg Nicotero is the N of the KNB. It's it's the, the special effects house. Got it. Um, and they did all of the life casting for Weta for people who were in the States, basically. Mm-hmm. So like Sean Astin and I both got our feet molded there and all that sort of stuff. Um, and they were telling us, because they were in direct communication with Richard Taylor and the whole team at Weta and knew about everything that they were doing back in New Zealand because they've been to some degree or another, in pre-production for Lord of the Rings for the better part of a couple of years. Wow. Like, they'd been planning this for a long time. There's a there's a really cool pitch video that I think might be on one of the DVDs. Oh, cool. That Peter did to show how he could make hobbits look small, mm-hmm. the whole forced perspective thing. Like, they did all of these practical effects in camera to show whoever was going to ultimately fit the bill for this, that they were capable and that this cottage industry or this small industry down in New Zealand could take this thing on board. And so then I was talking to the folks at KMB and they were like, oh man, where do you see like the costumes, the, the swords that they're making, they've got a, 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 you know, a swordsmith that's making everything for real from scratch. And so my mind was kind of spinning at the scale of it. And the fact that they had all this, already underway. So getting out to New Zealand and then seeing that all for the first time myself, it was like, oh, this yeah, is... Yeah, for you... We you, are in unbelievable hands. Yes. Oh, my God. This wasn't this a fly-by-night operation. They had been working on this for years. Totally. They were, yeah. Totally. So there was never... Getting out there, especially getting to New Zealand, seeing the costume department, going to Weta, seeing the feet, putting the feet on in the ears and the wig and all of that stuff for the first time... There was not a doubt in our minds that we this was going to be n- not the success. No, you can't that, predict that. Not the Oscars not that, or any but of that, that. We were going to make something thing. special. Yes. That well, was very, very cool. What about were you around for? And it looked many years have now gone by. So hopefully, it's fine to even talk about this a little bit. But like, it's crazy that Vigo was not cast initially. I know. You yeah, guys started shooting Stuart, with Stuart, Stuart Townsend. Stuart Townsend. So yeah. were you shooting with Stuart? And was that like a? We rehearsed with Stuart. Okay. Yeah, so we did about two months of, of rehearsal period. Wow. It was a two-month period of like rehearsal, dialect lessons for, for all of us, um, sword training, sword training with Bob. Oh, what's his last name? He, he Is was, this also the Star Wars? Was he yes, the famous Star Wars? He, yes. like, yeah, I know exactly who you're Bob talking Anderson, about. Bob Anderson, I believe that his name sounds is. sounds right, yeah. He was the, the, coordinator, the stunt coordinator yeah, on The original on trilogy, Wars, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, sword fighting lessons, horseback for the folks that were doing that. Basically all of this training yeah. and then working out sequences. So, you know, like that whole sequence at Weathertop with um, Aragorn, we were rehearsing that with, wow. um, I'm pretty sure we rehearsed some of that with Stuart. So there was rehearsals with him. Got it. Did you have any sense that like this felt a little off or that Peter had lack of confidence that it was just we not We were work? really surprised. Yeah. We were surprised. Um, 
that's that kind of thing is really hard. It yeah. just is. You know, it, it, we we all took it hard because for two months, we, in addition to all of those things that we were doing individually to prepare, we, but we were doing it together, we really gelled as a team. Yeah. And, you know, we were looking ahead at what was going to be the next year and a half of our lives of going through something together. And when you're kind of two months into that, yeah. you're a galvanized group. You're doing everything together, spending your free time together, and you're working towards this thing. So it was, it was really jarring to lose a member of the family. But that being said, Vigo came in and so quickly jumped and rose to the occasion yeah. that it was astonishing. Like it was almost, I mean, his journey was almost like that of the reluctant King of Aragorn. <laughs> totally. How fucking crazy is that? <laughs> but he jumps into this thing and takes on a responsibility that's bigger than him with such gusto. Uh, and I think he shot within, it was within a week and a half to two weeks when he arrived wow. that he shot. That's insane. Well. There aren't many Vigo Mortensons out there, clearly. There are. So in the, in the wake of Rings, here. so one of the interesting things I've noted, like, in looking at all your work in, in the many years since, is not a lot of studio films. Like, mm-hmm. you, and so, except for obviously Last Witch Hunter, which is <laughs> your, the pinnacle of your work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe there's a lesson there. Maybe, maybe I've answered my own question. <laughs> but... Um, is that conscious? Is it just like, again, you're going sort of where the material is? Um, it's going where the material yeah. is. I mean, if there were... Look, I can't make any illusions that I could just simply write my own path. I, well, I, I can't. I, I can't. And and I don't know that I, even after Lord of the Rings, that I could have. Had I... Could I have hustled more after that? I've thought about that in recent years. Like... I've never looked at my life or career strategically. I've always looked at it really organically right. and reacted to what seems interesting and, you know, filmmakers that I want to work with and, you know, becoming friends with people and wanting to work with them and being excited about their ideas. So that those became the paths that I would follow increasingly as I got older. Could I have been after Lord of the Rings one to try and capitalize on that? Maybe. Right. Maybe. Would I have been happy doing that? That I don't know. Right. I can't really answer that question because it's an unknowable thing. But I do know that I ultimately followed a path that was fulfilling to me. You, you know, it's ironic, and I, you, you know. probably blanched at this kind of even bring this up, but like um, because there were, have been jokes for years about like mistaking Radcliffe for you and vice versa. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. you know, I've gotten to know Dan over the years too. But it strikes me that like you guys have both, like you kind of both approached it, whether consciously or not, very similarly. Yeah, like he does. He has followed his muse, and he's done he totally theater, has. and he's done weird shit, and yeah. it's like there's no like. There's only left. The, the only thing to prove is to prove to himself, like to, yeah. to to interest himself. He doesn't have to prove. Like he's been on the biggest stage. You've been on the biggest stage in the industry, right? So that's like the best place to be, and to have that at such a young age. Like, Super fortunate. I mean, you've had you've had. I would argue like three acts already in your career, and you're a young man. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's wild to think of it that way. But yeah. Yeah. So and and one of them, I mean, we you know we we alluded a little bit to the producing side. So that's really obvious. Obviously, exponentially grown in recent years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and you've been doing it now long enough that you've seen like major changes in the industry, like even yeah. at the time that you've been doing it. Yeah. So, talk to me about where you guys are at right now in terms of like how you approach things differently, maybe than when you were starting out. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, we started at the time we started, we started because, 
you know, part of it was a reaction to, I mean, I wanted to get into producing films. And then I met Josh and Daniel, my producing partners, on another thing that, that Daniel was writing, Josh was going to direct, and I was going to be in. It was like a road comedy thing. Mm-hmm. And then out of that, we forged genuine friendship and realized that we had a shared mutual love of horror and genre. I'd been thinking about starting a production company mainly because I wanted to support filmmakers and the kinds of stories that I wanted to see and be a part of that creative process from the ground up. And then we kind of latched on to horror. We realized that we had this shared mutual love of, of the genre. And it was at a time in which that wasn't really consistently being made in the U.S. Like, there were great examples that were exceptions to the rule uh, outside of, like... Because a lot of the stuff back then were the Saw sequels, were yeah. lot, movies that were a, a little bit more relying on their exploitable elements and less on character and story. And the stuff that we loved... I mean, everything from the Val Luton movies from, you know, way back to the golden age, I think, of horror of the 1970s, things like Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist, right. or The Thing, uh, Halloween, and so on. And then the stuff that we were loving at the time that we were connecting on were, were films like Let the Right One In, The Orphanage, Martyrs, like yep. these, these films that, like the 1970s and film and eras prior, were t- took their subject matter seriously, and in some ways... You could almost remove the exploit, exploitable horror elements and still have a compelling story. And it didn't feel like there was a home for that yet yeah. in, at the time. Blumhouse was around. There was stuff that they were making. But it, it wasn't the renaissance that we're currently in. And so we just started looking for... A, we didn't have no idea what we were doing. We had no idea how to run a company. Right. We were just like, we're starting a company. <laughs> but what we did know is like... We have a lot of friends in the industry. We, we know a lot of people that we like, and there, there's a lot of people that we like that we can reach out to. Why don't we just reach out to people in the creative community, both people we know and don't, and just ask them if they have a creative or a, like a passion project in the horror space that no one wants to touch. Right. And invariably, they did, and it was always awesome. So that's kind of how we built out our initial slate. And then over the years, there's been this kind of groundswell of yeah, you can't other at the unbelievable right companies where, yeah. with A24 and Blumhouse expanding and doing a lot more in the horror space and supporting really great filmmakers. And so now there's this unbelievable genre fucking renaissance where everyone's <laughs> doing genre and it's really it's super exciting. By the way, you, you mentioned... I where mean, it's bleeding. You know, the thing that we noticed too when we first went to Sundance, we were, we were so lucky to get Girl Walks Home Alone at Night and Cooties, our first movies out of the gate into Sundance at the same time. But we started noticing that the midnight movies were dipping, were moving yes, out of out the of midnight, midnight yeah, section yeah, yeah. into the regular section and you're like, ah, now that's a game changer. Because <laughs> now these movies are being accepted on a level that they're not relegated to that one space, which is super cool. When I was looking up some some you know recent chats you've done just to see what you know what you've been talking about, I, I did enjoy uh, a couple years back you explaining what Cooties was about to Larry King. That was like a, that, that felt like a, a moment. <laughs> oh my god, I did, didn't I? Not only that, what did I say? How what did I, I mean, explain? The, it? Here's the better part of that conversation. Was it his reaction? No, it wasn't that. It wasn't about Cooties. <laughs> it was about you and and you're the nicest human being on the planet, and that you can't be an asshole. Um, uh, explain to him that it was William Peter Blatty that wrote The Exorcist when Larry tried to correct you. <laughs> did, he, did he say that it was Friedkin? No, he said someone else. Oh, I don't know weird. who he said. Wow. Yeah. 
No, it was definitely Blatty. He was. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm with you. I'm like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, oh, yeah. So, so all, uh, well, there's a lot to say on the producing side, but I do want to mention, um, because I'm the last of the party of Mandy. Oh. <laughs> no, it's, it's so great. Um, yeah. I, and I mean, I've long, like you, I'm sure, been obsessed with Nick Cage. Oh, yeah. Um, and anybody, we just made another movie with him. I heard this with yeah. Richard Stanley. Richard Stanley. Who has not directed a movie since Moreau. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm well, yeah, I, I assume you watched that doc about... Uh, yeah, oh my God, the film is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and so sad and... I know. Traumatic and yeah. what so, happened to so him. For, so for the, I mean, super shorthand, uh, Richard Stanley... Um, he made a two genre films right. that were cult classics at the time, Hardware and Dust Devil. He was then hired by a studio to make uh, an adaptation of Island of Dr. Moreau. Um, and he fell out with the studio. The studio lacked faith in him as a director. I think part of that has to do with his, with his lack of relationship with um, Val Kilmer. Right. Uh, studio, instead of standing by and supporting, backed off, uh, and he was fired from the movie. And now... Unceremoniously. Many- and he developed all of the visual style of that. Yeah. Like, oh, man. Like, the amount of work that he did to establish what that film was going to be. And he had so many great ideas too that didn't come to fruition. So he's back. Thanks he's to back you guys. Some, some and 20 years later. That's yeah. So crazy. With an HP um, Lovecraft adaptation. Sold. Colorado sold space. Five yeah. times over. Yeah. I'm excited. Uh, <laughs> so you presumably, and you worked with Nick a few years back, right? Which yeah. Is on a movie called the, kind of... Sort of. Yeah. So I, I worked with them on a movie called the trust. We spent a lot of time on set just talking about movies, which yeah. was incredible. And, that was a dream come true to me. I, I've been a fan of his for so long. He is such an icon. Um, he's one of the few actors that I've worked with, and I've been so lucky to work with extraordinary people, but he's one of the few people where I had frequent out-of-body experiences working opposite him where I'd be like right. in the middle of a scene oh thinking, my. oh, fuck, that's, that's Nicolas Cage, and he just said that in that way. That was so Nicolas Cage. Oh, my God. But what was so wonderful beyond working with him was being able to sit and just shoot the shit and recognize that he loves movies and loves to watch new movies and be exposed to new exciting filmmakers and genre stuff. So I'd recommend things to him. And at the time we were kind of privately on the SpectreVision side, we were talking about him. Like, could he be good for Mandy? Fuck, that'd be amazing. And so I was like, you should check out this movie called Beyond the Black Rainbow from Panos Cosmatos. He's like, cool, I'll go check it out. So he watches it and loves it. He's like, it gave me nightmares. And I was like, well, there's this movie called Mandy. Would you be interested? And so that, that did start our sort of creative working relationship, which has just been so rewarding and lovely for, for both us. And, and I think he's happy with it because he keeps working with Clearly. us, which is... Really, really lovely. Yeah, he, he might be. I was thinking uh, in recent months because you know people have asked the stock question like, who haven't you talked to? I mean, I've talked to Nick Nick before, but I've never had him on the podcast. He'd oh. be somebody that I'd love to have it for an extended He's conversation. So he must be amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So so um, so you've never directed, which is no. kind of shocking to me. What's up with that? I need to do it. You I do. Think, I think part of it is that. <laughs> um. Thanks. I think part of it is just that I haven't. I haven't put that hat on to go, all right, now I'm going to, I'm going to hunker down and find something to direct. And I think part of it came from somewhere in the back of my mind thinking, well, it's just going to hit me. Like kind of what happened with Ant on this wasn't that he had a burning desire to get back to directing. He did a little bit, but not really. Yeah. It was that, because otherwise he would have been looking at reading material and thinking, oh, maybe I'll direct this thing. It was that a profound thing happened in, in his life. Right that he felt like it was a story he needed to tell. 
So I just assumed that at some point something would kind of hit me and go, well, this is, this is the thing I need to tell. This, could, this is probably act four. We alluded to the first three acts. This is act four. We'll be. So, uh, yeah. I, I, I want to put some time and energy into it because honestly, I, I fully fantasize about a time in which that's all I do. Yeah. I just love filmmaking and I've already kind of dipped my toe in so many different aspects of the process. I think it would be very enjoyable for me to, to be a part of it in that regard too. Uh, what are you excited for this year in film? What's uh, what's the top of your list? The Joker. <laughs> Come on, that looks it, it looks far fucking better than it should. It does. It really looks amazing. I, I I have such high expectations for what that will be. That film looks incredible. I cannot wait for the Lighthouse. I'm a yes. huge fan of Eggers, The Witch, yeah, yeah, and yeah, I yeah. think Edgar's is going to continue to be an extraordinary filmmaker. Um, and I just can't wait to see everything that he does. So th- just seeing that image that A24 know, put yeah. out, I was like, fuck yes. <laughs> and Pat- Pattinson is, has got oh my God, one he's of the to coolest level. fucking careers What's going on? <laughs> of all time. I have such admiration for him because he's another one of these dudes that's just, he leaves an insane franchise and decides I'm going to do what I want to do and work with crazy, incredible people and challenge myself and like jump off the deep end. And it's exhilarating. And he, uh, so like, I mean, as you can imagine, fuck me, man. But I mean, to see how far he's come, not only just the the material, but frankly, his ability as an actor too, too, too. because he has stretched and grown in extraordinary. I mean, even if you look at, and he'll admit to this. I mean, I interviewed him a thousand times in the Twilight. Oh, I'm sure. So like, I honestly think I've probably talked to him more than any other human being. (laughs) I swear to God. Wow. (laughs) And he was always so self-deprecating and like, and, and, and knew he just, he didn't have the, didn't, hadn't earned the stature that he had in the industry. And, and, and even when he did Cosmopolis, the first Cronenberg collaboration. That was the first step into the weird direction it was. he took. And I would say he, like, I don't, I, think he would even, I don't think he was, like, amazing in that one. But at least he, like, he took the dive and he started to I don't to know learn. that it's an amazing movie either. That's true. That's true. Not one of my favorites. No. Uh, is Cronenberg must be on the list. My God, you need to be in a Cronenberg. He needs to work more, first <sighs> would, of all. Would love to work with Cronenberg. Yeah. He hasn't made anything in a no, bit. It's been hasn't. a second. Um, what about, I noticed you tweeted and I'm, I'm also excited about the new Ari Aster. Uh, oh dude, film. Midsummer, Right. Yeah. I mean, it, also Hereditary is incredible. My introduction to Ari Aster, as far as his work was, cause he's made a bunch of shorts and the, sh- what's the short? I haven't seen any of them. Okay. Oh, I've look seen up, Hereditary. Look, look up I mean, his shorts. Okay. There's one about a family that is extremely disturbing that you need to see. It's okay. great. And I can't remember the name of it. Um, yeah. Midsummer looks great. Do any dude once upon a time in Hollywood. Uh, this is going to be a crazy year. The Irishman's coming out this year. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of anticipated, <laughs> anticipated films. Where 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 are you at with? Like, do any of the Marvel or DC stuff do anything for you? I just don't follow it. Yeah, like, like I didn't. Not... I didn't grow up reading Marvel comics, so I don't have a pre-existing way in. So uh, there are movies that I I, I can take yeah. on their own. The first Iron Man's great. Um, love the Guardians of the Galaxy films. I've only seen the first one, so that one. Yeah. Um, I loved what Taika did with Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that movie's fucking awesome and funny and weird. But I don't have... So I, I've not seen Infinity War? Yeah, that was the last one. The last one? one, right. As we speak today, so, is Endgame's about to take over the universe. It, it already is. That's yeah. all that anyone's yeah. talking about on Twitter. It's like <laughs> insane. 
But now I feel like, all right, I've missed something. Right. So I need to go back and watch Infinity War because I need to understand. People are losing their goddamn mind over Endgame. Have you seen it? I have seen it. Is it great? It's very good. I will say it's okay. very good. And I'm, I, I'm these I'm, these movies aren't really for me. I I also see. I mean, I'm cynical because I don't have a relationship to the comics. I think if I did, I'd feel yeah. very different. Clearly. Because I'd go, I'd see all of the connective tissue and the Easter eggs and the things that mean something, details that are missed on people like me. But from my standpoint, I just, I'm cynical and I see a machine. Yeah. I just see. You see the the gross stuff, which is there. And it's. It's a machine. (laughs) But I also can appreciate, you know, from people who are super passionate about it. I mean, I've, I've actually talked to Kevin Smith, for instance, about this. What Kevin Feige is doing, Kevin Feige is doing is actually unprecedented and kind of amazing. All of these movies that share a universe and there's connective tissue between all of them, it's never been done before, and he's closing it out after 22-some-odd movies. I'm impressed. Like Just on the sheer scale. Whether or not I can can stomach all of them or if it's for me, doesn't really matter. That's an extraordinary thing, and I I appreciate that. And I'm gonna catch up because apparently <laughs> I missed out on Infinity War, and I need to see it. Well, I felt the same. I, I, on a different note, like I I felt obligated to um, binge Game of Thrones the last two months because I just felt like I didn't want to be out of it for the last. So you've, you're all caught up. I'm all caught up. Oh man, that you aren't. Oh fuck yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean yeah. <laughs> you can have your Marvel have my Game of Thrones <laughs> well, uh, and Star Wars is still doing anything for oh, you fuck yeah okay good big time that new trailer is incredible I know Rise of Skywalker a lot of questions I know I loved Last Jedi Me I thought too. what Ryan did was so extraordinary I have no brave. patience for the haters of that yeah, one that's it's a load of bullshit. Yeah. Like what that franchise needed especially after Force Awakens yes. and I love Force Awakens but what it needed was someone to go alright you're in comfortable ground. Now I'm gonna be bold and yeah. make b- take big swings and make take risks. It's in. A, it, I mean, and it, tell a really compelling, interesting story with new characters, and that's what he did. And even in a bit of a different way. I mean, when you go back to Empire, Lucas was still very much like hands on the wheel, but he let a different filmmaker like Kasdan direct it, yeah. and that's why it looks as gorgeous as it does yeah. and different as it does. Totally. So I, I'm yeah. I'm excited about the last film. I'm a little nervous. I know it's a, it's a tough. It's it, like talk about <laughs> JJ's sticking, putting a lot of pressure on himself. Sticking the landing, dude. Like that, y- you're you're not closing out three movies. You're closing out nine I know. movies. <laughs> well, yeah, and he also. I feel like he's like looking a gift horse in the mouth. It's like you did it already, JJ. You relaunched the franchise. But and at the end of the day, of the- <laughs> who else would you have come back? No, yeah, they were no. They you br- you bring in the there's fucking, no one else they could have. You bring in JJ because he's gonna close it. Like. Yeah. He's a he. He'll do it. He'll do it. But I'm nervous. I'm nervous that he'll undo stuff from Last Jedi. That's what I'm afraid of. I know. I'm afraid that it's going to be like, oh, all that stuff. I know. Nah, 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 nah. I know. So we'll see. Uh, are you going to see the Curious about the Tolkien movie? The uh, eh, not your thing. The biopics are tough. They are tough. Yeah. I don't love them most yeah. of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. You've done your time too. Yeah. I don't know about <laughs> Tolkien. I, I mean, I yeah. I've seen the trailer. It's yeah. That's a tough one. Is that a really interesting story enough to make a film about? I here's the thing with biopics too. I often find I'd rather watch the documentary. You know, yeah. I don't know that I need to see someone portray the people. I I love documentaries, and I documentaries can be so much more rich because you're hearing the stories either from the people or from the people who knew the people, 
or you're being given an incredible overview without having someone try and portray the person. Well, this is one of my, my stock questions that I enjoy asking about on the doc front. Which of your films would have, the, a making of film would have been the most interesting? A doc, the making of which of your films would have been the most oh. compelling? What's your heart of darkness? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be fun to see a last witch hunter. <laughs> There's some pretty interesting shenanigans. Nice. Um, well, they already kind of did make Bro, them, rings. They yeah, did they like so much. Yeah, they documented the hell out of those movies. <laughs> so there, apparently, there's a there's yet to be a. I'd heard that Peter was going to do like a definitive two hour making of from his perspective thing, Got which it. would be amazing. Um, I can't think of anything else that would okay. well, lend itself to a making of that I. We'll put it. Let's put a good word in with Vin to to unlock the vaults. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go Is full he's, circle. He's a, he's an avatar. I heard that. I saw it. There was a photo of him on set, right? There's a video with him. I think he posted it to his <laughs> Facebook. Because doesn't he have the most followers on Facebook of anybody in the world well, or here's, something? Here's my favorite thing of the... Of the, of the <laughs> I can't believe we're talking about this. In the but, Again! But, why? It always comes back to Vin. But but during that, that when I was monitoring your, your Comic-Con thing with Vin, it was when Facebook Live had like just started, like the ability to stream live. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. he was streaming backstage. And I think he missed... He didn't realize that I had like 15 minutes of business to do where I was like going to show clips and do intros. Yes. So he starts doing... If you watch... If you want to go back into the archives, guys, and watch Vin's very early... Early Facebook Live video. It's him basically talking into a camera, saying, "You ready for this? You ready for this? You ready for this?" For about 15 minutes, while he, while you hear Josh Horowitz drone on stage oh, forever. My God, it's riveting. And he's back there. You're there, like waiting for him. <laughs> he's waiting to go on. Wow, what a comedy of errors. It's the backstage shenanigans that yeah. I live for. Um, it's good to catch up. It's been too long, but it has been too long. Uh, come to Daddy's the film uh, as we speak today. Uh, it's at Tribeca. Hopefully, yep. we'll know more about where people can see it soon enough. Yep, hopefully. Uh, but congratulations on it, man! Thanks. I'm excited for all your Nicolas Cage shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> Putting a good word for the podcast. Yeah, and um, yeah, like I said, good. To We've see got you, a podcast coming out too. Do you? With Shutter. Do you do you subscribe to Shutter? I do. I'm a big fan of theirs. Yeah, um, yeah. We are doing a podcast, SpectreVision. It's me and Daniel are the hosts. And it's called Visitations. Nice. And it's basically like the concept is it's a deep dive at people's homes. So we go to people's homes or offices or wherever their creative spaces. And it's primarily people that are, are either directly related or tangentially related to genre or horror. Yeah. It can be a loose thread. It can be a big thread. It sure. doesn't necessarily matter. The idea is to sort of have, you know, in-depth, intimate conversations with people In that don't space. That's, yeah, that yeah. don't feel that they, they don't feel like interviews, that they just feel like we're shooting the shit and try to get to some degree of depth about where they came from, who they are, why they create, what they're afraid of, what their vulnerabilities are, why they started making whatever it is that they make. So we were, we interviewed Flying Lotus, which is super cool. Kate and Laura Malevi from Rodarte. We did uh, Mike Flanagan. Panos is on there. Nice. So, yeah. Smart. Because, like, the, the key, I think, for, like, those kind of conversations, stuff I do, stuff anybody tries to do that's a little bit different, is a, a huge part of it is setting. Yeah. And, like, you know, as silly as it is, is, it is, like, you know, there's no bells and whistles to what I do here. But, like, mm. having it in my, like, weird brain, as you can see, yeah. that's a way to frame it. And, yeah. But what you're doing is a smart way to do it, too, because you're, like, basically going into the belly of their – you know, into their, their brain. their comfort space. Yeah. And trying to make it feel like – you know, we, we, we're all mic'd and then everyone goes away. So it's, yeah. just, it's just me and Daniel and the subject. So then you forget that you're even yeah. on a podcast. That's so the that's, a, that's the whole, like yeah. try and 
remove any kind of awareness and then people start to reveal a lot more and there you go yeah excellent yeah. i look forward to checking that one out too cool man. yeah it's fun um congrats. I, this medium is a it's a fun medium it is it's fun. also just fun to chat to people as as i'm sure you know yes as we were talking before we were both veterans of the junket wars so it's good to have a real human conversation <laughs> junketeers <laughs> check it out comedy central digital still out there um thanks bud dude thanks so much and so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>